Al Jazeera Podcasts. Today, U.S. faith leaders demand a permanent ceasefire for Gaza. And they're walking from state to state in what they call a pilgrimage for peace. We are not going to bomb our way to peace. They include some of the Black faith leaders who helped Joe Biden win the election. Will he listen? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. On Tuesday, the United States vetoed yet another UN Security Council resolution for a ceasefire in Gaza. It's the third veto by the US since the start of the war. The US was the only country to vote against it. And the veto happened while Reverend Stephen Green has been leading Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, and others from all over the country on a journey to Washington, D.C. All right, we are here. We got some rabbis. Three rabbis. Three rabbis and a pastor. We outside. (laughs) It's winter in the U.S. And in the Northeast, where he is, that means it's very windy and very cold. All right, we just walked into Wilmington, Delaware, pulling up. End of day two, 11 miles a day, and we still at it. That's nearly 18 kilometers a day. God's name be praised. Marchers say their goal is to walk the length of Gaza to show support for Palestinians under bombardment there. All right, day three. Here we are, pilgrimage for peace. On the highway, y'all pray for us. Reverend Stephen Green, welcome to The Take. Why don't we start with an introduction? Well, good morning, good afternoon. I am grateful to be here on The Take with you. Uh, My name is Reverend Stephen A. Green, and I am a pastor and activist and chair of Faith for Black Lives, based in Harlem, New York. And what is Faith for Black Lives? a social justice organization that is grounded in faith-based principles to organize and build the beloved community through civic engagement, community empowerment, uh, and courageous action. Hmm. So the pilgrimage started in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the birthplace of democracy in the U.S., and you've crossed multiple cities. We have managed to get you to take a brief break You are currently in the U.S. state of Maryland, nearly to your final destination. How has the journey been so far? Yes, we embarked on this pilgrimage Wednesday, February the 14th, which is Ash Wednesday in the Christian tradition, but it's also the birthday of Frederick Douglass and Richard Allen. And it was a very historic day in the African-American tradition. And we started with over 100 pilgrims in a rally and a press conference at Mother Bethel AME Church, the oldest AME Church in the nation. Mm. For six days now, we have been journeying, and we are halfway to Baltimore, Maryland. A group of local demonstrators is on a journey to send a message about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. They want three things, a ceasefire in Gaza, the release of all hostages, and unrestricted humanitarian aid. We'll arrive in Washington on Wednesday, and this has been a spiritual journey for us. We have built a community with imams and 
uh, rabbis and our Hindu siblings, as well as our Christian siblings, and, and even our non-faith siblings who've come together. I'm a rabbi for ceasefire. We were seeing this interfaith element emerge in this cry to demand a ceasefire in Gaza and to reimagine the world. We're grounded in the idea and the theology of peace and recognizing that peace is not the absence of violence, but it is the presence of justice. And that is what is motivating us to take this sojourn. 150 miles to Washington, D.C. to take this message to President Biden. Hmm. Can you tell me what actually inspired the overall idea? Yes, this idea emerged truly out of spirit. I was resting one evening and we had reached the 25,000 mark of lives that have been lost in this war. And I was conflicted because we were headed to celebrating King Day and to remember the legacy of Dr. King. And as I was preparing for my own King address in my congregation, I was reminded that Dr. King lost his life because of his witness towards speaking out against war in Vietnam and how this war in Gaza is very reminiscent of the war in Vietnam As I have walked among the desperate, rejected, and angry young men, I have told them that Molotov cocktails and rifles would not solve their problems. But they ask, and rightly so, what about Vietnam? And Dr. King's courageous action to call out America, his own country, as the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. I'm very inspired by King's Selma to Montgomery march. And I've been to many marches and rallies that are pro-Palestinian and trying to advocate for a ceasefire, whether they be at the United Nations or whether they are at uh, the White House or at Capitol Hill. And so I knew we needed something different, something that would connect us and connect our humanities. And I think that is what this pilgrimage has become and what it is. And so we have organized this with less than three weeks. Hmm. And to just see people respond to the call in such a way has truly been reminiscent of the fact that what we are doing is a part of a sacred tradition. This is a part of a continuum from Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman all the way to Martin King. We see this thread of nonviolent moral resistance. And this is important that it happens during Black History Month and that this is grounded in the Black church because we understand and identify with the struggles of apartheid, with the struggles of segregation and subjugation as victims of slavery and genocide in the United States. So we see firsthand what is taking place in Gaza and are able to bear witness in this moment uh, to move and to shift the conscience of this nation. And I believe it was time for the Black church to elevate its voice in this endeavor. And that's why we are grateful to be in coalition with the over 60 partners who've answered the call to be a part of this pilgrimage with us. Wow. 
So you mentioned that a lot of this is grounded in the Black church, and you listed the names of civil rights activists and famed Black Americans in history that this is really standing on the shoulders of. Can you talk to me about that identification with the struggle of the Palestinian cause? For starters, as a Christian, I ascribe to the belief of a Jesus who was born in Palestine, who is a Palestinian Jew who came to redeem society through radical love, who came to lift the poor and the downtrodden, who came to liberate the oppressed and to set the captives free, which is an anti-imperialist agenda. And so I'm deeply connected out of this rich Christian tradition that grounds the Black church. And also uh, because wherever we see oppression and degradation and violence, as a moral cosmopolitan, it's imperative that we speak up about it, that whether they, these were Jewish children, brothers and sisters who were being bombed innocently, if these were Ukrainian children being bombed innocently, or South African children, or even children in Flint, Michigan, hmm. our conscience requires us to respond because wherever we see violence, we must counter it with an equal and more powerful force of nonviolence. Coming up, could the Biden administration's unwavering support of Israel cost him the vote of Black Americans? That's after the break. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. And I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. While the U.S. vetoed the U.N. resolution on a permanent ceasefire on Tuesday, on Monday, a day earlier, they said they plan to propose a temporary pause in fighting. The U.S. voting against a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The U.S. was the only nation on the Security Council to vote against the measure. So, Reverend, Black faith leaders have been pushing Biden to pressure Israel to end the war for some time now. And several months ago, a coalition of more than 1,000 Black clergy called on President Biden to push for a ceasefire. You were one of those who signed on to that effort. Tell me how it came about and then what came of it. The original 1,000 faith leaders that supported the call for a ceasefire was a truly a historic and monumental effort. I think it's something that we have not seen since the 1960s, uh, the level of solidarity amongst Black faith leaders who are calling for the end of violence and war in Gaza. And I think that the Black church and primarily Black women, which is the base of the Black church and also the base of the Democratic Party, are having this administration is having to deal with this on this front doorstep. Not only do they have to be concerned about Muslim American voters being disillusioned by the Democratic Party and by President Biden. They also have to deal with Black voters who are discontented by the violence that we are seeing take place in Gaza. And 
the president's senior advisors and uh, general counsels met with a small coalition of our faith leaders who signed that original petition. Uh, but what we're seeing is that one hand, there was a call for a temporary ceasefire. And then on the other hand, America continues to send endless supplies of weapons and bombs to Israel. And I think that we are seeing those contradictions play out in a very true way that I find alarming. And I think that as we take this message to Washington, we're escalating our efforts to the president to remind him of the support that the Black church has provided for this administration. We see it also reflected in the AME church that we talked about this oldest Black denomination in the country, founded by former slaves who purchased their own freedom. The Bishop's Council, the most senior body of the church, has called for the end of military aid to Israel. Uh, and so we're seeing an escalation in the demands from the Black church that I believe this president is going to have to confront and have to address in real time. So back in October, there was a survey from the Carnegie Endowment that showed 95% of Black Americans surveyed rejected the Biden administration's, quote, unwavering support, end quote, of Israel. Given that Black Americans helped lead Biden to victory in 2020, do you think his stance on Israel-Palestine might alienate those voters? And does it put his reelection in jeopardy? Well, I believe supporting unfiltered resources going to Israel is indeed going to be a stain on his presidency. We've seen this with President Lyndon Bain Johnson, whose support of the war in Vietnam cost him his reelection. And history is unfolding before our very eyes in a very similar way uh, as it relates to President Biden. A new CBS News poll is showing most Americans disapprove of President Biden's handling of the Israel-Hamas war, with few thinking his administration's actions are bringing things closer to a peaceful resolution. And I think that as we get closer to the election, black voters will be holding President Biden accountable for his support of Israel. President Biden has a chance to reel this back in and to use this as an example of his compassionate leadership that he so uh, profoundly aspires to emulate. That is the radical hope that we hold in this moment, that the president would feel this pressure and recognize that this is going to cost him. And which side would he intend to stand on? Or will you stand on the side of the people or will you stand on the side of those who continue to bomb innocent children and, and women in Palestine? I think that is his decision uh, to make. We're seeing this renaissance, if you will, of heightened civic engagement in 2024 for people who are determined to advance an agenda that is grounded in liberation and freedom and justice and peace. So keeping in that vein, you are the head of St. Luke AME Church in Harlem, New York. And while we have this pilgrimage going on, Sunday still had services with Dr. Cornell West. He's running for president. Talk to me about what the congregation felt about that. Well, Dr. Cornell West is a mentor of mine. And I invited him to speak because he is one of the preeminent Black intellectuals of our time. And I think that his address and his message to our congregation resonated. 
the 25th chapter of Matthew says, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. You start with the prisoners. You start with the brothers and sisters in the hood. You start with the brothers and sisters in the barrios. You start with the brothers and sisters on the reservations. You start with the brothers and sisters in Gaza. It's a message that resonates with people across the country. The message of hope and a message of inspiration for people who are not excited about choosing between two candidates that do not inspire them, that do not provide a direction at all for the country that we love so dearly. While we are a church, we we welcome all voices and all candidates. Uh, we do not endorse uh, a particular candidate. And so we, we gave him an opportunity to address and to share his message of hope. And it resonated very deeply with our congregation in Harlem. So final question, Reverend. Uh, it feels like we have seen and are seeing no end in sight to the bombardments in Gaza. Nearly 30,000 have been killed. As an activist and a pastor, I'm wondering how your faith helps you as you're witnessing these moments of despair, because clearly you have the strength to go on. What would you say to people who are feeling hopeless? Where are you finding the hope? Well, you know, this, this pilgrimage is bringing out another side of all of us who are embarking on this journey. It is stretching us. It is um, pulling us in a direction that is bringing out the very best of our own selves. And we see the growth and transformation taking place in our own lives. And I think that's what makes this pilgrimage so special is the community that is being built along the way. Imams walking together with rabbis, Hindus walking together with monks, Christians walking together with atheists, embodying the very principles of peace that we aspire uh, to see in the world. And I think that is what gives me the hope that comes through the radical humanity. When we get to the points and, and then the hills get high and steep and the days get long and the wind begins to beat upon our faces, then the chill begins to resonate within our bones. Oh, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. Oh, It is this motivation of the voices that are crying out in Gaza, who have had to flee their homes, who have, who remembered having keys to their homes in the land that is occupied. I believe that what we're seeing take place in this moment is the hope that comes from the voices of those who who have decided to do something, who have decided to get out of their bed and come out of their warm homes and to sacrifice some time and take this journey and take this pilgrimage together with strangers who become family. We got some young pilgrims. Yes. Say hello yes. to the... We all outside, walking here in Baltimore. We are going And I believe that is what is the underlying hope and the underlying strength that undergirds this pilgrimage and will keep us fortified and strong even after Wednesday. We got about 40 pilgrims with us on the way to D.C. Peace. It will take the, the spirit and the strength of everyday citizens who are fed up and sick and tired of being sick and tired, as Fannie Lou Hamer said, and who are willing to do something about it to realize the beloved community. 
let the world know. Let the world Reverend know. Stephen Green, you can tell that you have found your calling because you have left this often cynical journalist with some hope at the end of this conversation. Thank you so much. She's Everybody she's and that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, and Ashish Malhotra, with Veronisa Campana, Amy Walters, Miranda Lynn, Nagin Oliayi, Sari Al-Khalili, David Enders, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Badr, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is the Takes executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.